It's such a couple. fine line between stupid and, and clever. It's the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. My name is Sergeant Frank Drebin, Detective Lieutenant Police Squad. A special detail of the police department. There'd been a recent wave of gorgeous fashion models found naked and unconscious in laundromats on the west side. Unfortunately, I was assigned to investigate holdups of neighborhood credit unions. If the holdup man had been where Sally Decker said, the bullet should have penetrated deeper. Let me show you what we did. These guns are identical to the one that killed Jim Johnson. Watch carefully as I test fire this gun into these videotapes of Barbara Walters' interviews. See, it completely destroys the Burt Reynolds interview and everything from, from Bo Derrick to Paul Newman, but only up to the point where Barbara asks him, is it difficult to love? Now, let me show you what happens when the gun is fired from three feet, which is the distance Sally claimed the shots were fired from. Notice, complete destruction. Right up to the point where she asked Katherine Hepburn what kind of tree she'd like to be. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Ready to move up. Before we start, I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other, and all points in between. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now, your host... Jeremy Lunnan. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where's he coming from? It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. And John, it has been forever. It's been too long. Too long. And so it's it's been a uh, what's the word we're looking for? It's it's been a a reunion. It, it, it's a reunion for us. <laughs> but I mean, it's just been it's just been one thing after another. Uh, that has kept us from getting back together. So it's been like four weeks. It's been a while. This yeah. is the longest hiatus we've had, but absence makes the heart grow fonder. And also we've had a technology upgrade, right? We've had a technology upgrade. I don't know if you can hear the difference, but we've, uh, we've upgraded some things in our studio. We've got some, uh, we like the Samson CO1 studio condenser mics. They're very good. We got a pair of those and they don't cost a, a lot if you are a, an audio nerd like we are. I had one and really liked it, and so I thought, well, let's get matching sets. So, so they sound great. Yeah, I like them. Tell us what you think. I think they sound good, yeah. And so we have promised that we would be covering this uh, Robin Trower Bridge of Size album, which we are, but it's given us more time than usual to listen to it, which has been good. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to that conversation. Now, this is not really news or breaking news, but I was going to tell you about this, John, on YouTube, wasting time on YouTube, as I am wont to do. I saw uh, the Ronnie Montrose tribute concert. Someone has posted that, and I think it happened in around 2015, 2016. I should know that. I, I didn't even check. He died in 2012, but a bunch of folks got together 
and uh, played music from his entire career, stuff he did with Edgar Winter Group, stuff he did with Montrose, stuff he did with Gamma. I started watching that last night at about 10.30, and I watched the whole thing. Really? It was really, really good. Is there any stand-up performances? There's... Okay, so it starts with Neil Sean comes out, and he's playing with Ricky... Oh, Ricky Phillips, who is currently in Sticks, but was in The Babies, and was in Montrose at one point. So it's Neil Sean, Ricky Phillips, can't remember who else is. So they start, it starts with like them doing a four song set of just his instrumental stuff. Ronnie Montrose had an interesting career. He had, you know, he started his first notoriety came playing with uh, Van Morrison. So Wild Nights and, you know, a lot of this, this great, Van Morrison stuff, that's Ronnie Montrose. So that was kind of his first gig. And then Edgar Winter, so Frankenstein, right. Free Ride, that's all Ronnie Montrose. And then he hooks up with Sammy Hagar. He does the Montrose thing for a few albums. And then he did, went this solo route where he's starting to, re- to release instrumental stuff. And then, oh, by the way, in like 79, he gets together my favorite Montrose period is Gamma, and it was not very commercially successful, but there were three excellent albums, and to me, the high point of this show is the Gamma set, mm-hmm. and there's a connection with the album we'll talk about, is the singer in Gamma is a guy named Davey Pattison, who is awesome, and in fact, has been Robin Trower's lead singer for the last 20 years. Wow. And here's what's funny is my first exposure to Robin Trower was back in the 90s. I saw a live video of Robin Trower playing. Davey Pattison's the singer. They're singing Bridge of Sighs. They're singing Day of the Eagle. They're singing Two Rolling Stone, all this stuff. And his voice is so similar to James Dewar, who's the actual singer. I thought Patterson was the original singer. Yeah. I, re- I really did. Uh, but he's a great singer. That part of the Montrose show with Davey, P- Davey Patterson and Montrose, obviously Ronnie's passed away, so they don't have him. But there's a guitar player named Mark Bonilla. Do you remember hearing him? His name sounds very Yeah, funny. he was one of the 80s instrumental Most... guys, like Gary Hoey and a, oh, this whole school. Greg Howe kind of. Yeah, yeah. just really. But he's really, really good. And anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there and invite anyone, if you're a Ronnie Montrose fan, and of course, at the end, you got Sammy Hagar comes out with Joe Satriani, and then the original bass player and drummer, Bill Church and Denny Carmasi, who were in Montrose, they come out and do a few songs at the end. But to me, the high point is the Gamma set, and that's actually the longest one, which surprised me. That's Hmm. the longest part in this video. They did like five songs, and then Sammy comes out, and they only do like two songs as, as Montrose, but... Anyways, cool if, you're, stuff. if you're looking for good rock and roll, that's one you need to check out. Absolutely. And also, John, again, it's been a, a while since we've gotten together. I just wanted to thank the folks that are joining us as patrons on Patreon. We've Absolutely. got a number of folks. Not a lot yet, but it's slowly but surely we're getting folks at, that are being patrons. And for as little as three bucks a month, there's a three buck level, six buck level and $12 level, I think. So if you enjoy the podcast, it's things like 
Patreon that allow us to, well, we talked about upgrading some equipment. Right. We're able to do that because we have patrons and things. So that's, yeah, we really, really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. So if that's something you'd like to do, check us out on, on uh, Patreon. And also, if you uh, want to check out our website, it's really cool. It's got a lot of cool stuff on it. And we do go a little further in, in detail with, I, I put up photos that are cool and mm-hmm. some cool videos that we talk about, that kind of stuff. So there's more content on the on the webpage. And that's what I like. John started adding videos, you know, right. and they're, and they're not, they're not necessarily videos from our channel, which is, that's what makes it cool right. is we talk about a song or whatever. And John will post, here's a video of a guy playing this song. It's cool. So yeah, it's a, if you like to go down and that's what I love to do on YouTube is I'll watch a video and then the related videos. And before long, you've gone in a completely different direction. And, and that's what's cool. And because of like YouTube's algorithm, the more mm-hmm. cool videos you watch, the more cool videos you get to see. Absolutely. So absolutely. Yeah. To, check, to, out, check out our webpage. Today I was on a Norm McDonald oh. thing. I was going down a Norm McDonald hole. But anyways. Yeah. Rest his soul. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. I am very excited about this album, and there are a lot of Robin Trower fans out there. I just put a little blurb on Twitter. By the way, follow us on Twitter. Just look up the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast, and you'll you'll find us there. A lot of folks, big-time Robin Trower fans. So this is going to be a, a fun album to talk about. Now, when we come back, we'll talk about that. But before we go to break here, I, I just want to tell you about one of our sponsors. Uh, we've talked about them before, and they are a great company. Um, this is a company called Heart Soul Heat, and they are a sponsor of the Classic Guitar Rock podcast. Heart Soul Heat, they are the creators of Ghost Honey, which is a 100% American-made hot honey. It is raw honey that is ghost pepper infused. So if you're a fan of hot stuff, and you know, that might scare you when you say that it's not, it's not so hot that it's going to scorch your tongue, but it's, it's zippy. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty hot, but I like it kind of hot. But this 100% American made hot honey, ghost pepper infused raw honey. It's great on pizza, on fried chicken. I was telling John last time I had it on chicken strips and it was awesome. Sounds great. It's really good. It is bold and, and flavorful without overpowering your favorite foods. And they are offering fans of the classic guitar rock podcast 50% off. Your first order, which is awesome. Yeah, 50% off your first order. Uh, You just enter the code ROCK, R-O-C-K, at heartsoulheat.com. That's heartsoulheat.com. Use that promo code ROCK at checkout, and you get 50% off your first order. So it's awesome. awesome. And and we just want to thank Heart Soul Heat for being a sponsor. And if you could support those sponsors, that's a great thing. And, so, and it's an American company, too. American company. Didn't you say in Minneapolis? Yeah. Is that where they're located? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, check that out. Now, when we come back, we're going to dig into this classic album from 1974, Robin Trower's Bridge of Size. When you need 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If it's too loud, you're too old. Well, let's be honest. You're probably too old anyway. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Jeremy and John here today, and we are excited to be talking about a great album from 1974. This is Bridge of Sighs by Robin Trower. And Robin Trower is one of those guys, John, that, that gets lumped into the Hendrix disciple category, right? right? Which you, you understand why. You hear some of that. Yeah, you do hear that. Yeah. But I think, think about the time period, okay? So this is mid-70s, 74. Uh, you, is Hendrix dead at this point? He's dead. He's died in 1970. But there was a He was very impactful, right? Right, right? So there were a lot... There were some... Yuli John Roth, who was in Scorpions at the time, very much Hendrix. I hear more Hendrix in Yuli than I do in Robin Trower. And I made this point earlier to John. I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but we'll, it's a podcast. Why not? Why we, not? It's, it's yeah. our podcast. We can do whatever we want. So, blues. Let's talk about blues for just a minute. So, would you say this is a blues record? I would say he's a very bluesy guitarist. But you said something really interesting. You said a lot of these songs to you aren't really rock songs. I would I would say this is not a rock album yeah, per se. I, I mean, if you compare this to like Led Zeppelin, oh, this is exactly. not a rock this is not right. a rock album. And 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 we it's not a super up tempo album. There's a lot of mid to low tempo songs. Right. When you think about it, there's maybe two, three, three songs that I'd call rockers up tempo. And the rest are, to your point, they're pretty mellow. And another thing is the track lengths are relatively long. Yeah. yeah. And that doesn't allow for a lot of radio play. That's that's one thing that happens. Yeah. If, I mean, you go to a concept album and you have all these long tracks, odds are you're not going to be played much. And I wanted to talk about blues for just a minute because there's blues. And I know blues kind of came into vogue in the 80s you know all 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 the old white guys were into blues right you go to you go to a blues show and all it was was a bunch of old white guys guys, right but when you go back to the source material and i like blues as much as anyone but you go back to the source material you go back to a muddy waters album a howlin wolf album john lee hooker album the actual albums from the 50s and 60s they are not real accessible Right. I it mean, is. it's the sound is not great. They're all recorded with one track They're and reco- one tra- take. Totally. One track, one take. And, and let's be honest, a lot of these, there are exceptions. But, and I'm again, I'm not trying to be blasphemous, but one John Lee Hooker sound, song sounds just like another John Lee Hooker song. <laughs> and, and there were exceptions. Buddy Guy, phenomenal. And Buddy Guy, in fact, a lot of people will say... 
Hendrix ripped a lot of stuff off from Buddy Guy. Probably, yeah. And 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 Buddy Guy's from a guitar standpoint, it was just crazy. I mean, he was out there, but the sound of those albums is not very good. Right. It's not. It's. I mean, they're not great. I mean, no. I think they were recorded not on tape. I think they were recorded right to the wax. They they might have done that. Absolutely. And so, the, and I'm just throwing that out because Hendrix comes along. Hendrix was very much versed in the blues, right? He he played on the Chitlin circuit playing R&B. He was he was in James Brown's band or Little Richard, not James Little Brown, Richard, Little yeah. Richard's band for a while. So he was rooted in the blues, but then he took it in this whole right different direction. And so the point I'm trying to make is this. When people say, "Yeah, I love the blues." What they're really saying is they like the post British, British adoption, blues rock. Right. Blue. Now I, I can't speak for everyone because some guys might really like that old T-Bone Walker stuff. Yeah. But for me, I'll just admit it. I like the second generation blues stuff, which we wouldn't have without the original blues. But but once you had John Mayall and the British guys electrifying the blues and making it blues rock, I like that stuff better. And so. Trower is a bridge between bridge. 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 See how I did that? <laughs> He's a bridge between Hendrix, who was this psychedelic guy who brought in. He was groundbreaking, right? He was just right. groundbreaking. Yeah, some of the visuals, some of the crazy stuff he might have borrowed from Buddy Guy, but in terms of this way out space alien type stuff he's playing he was a really cutting edge and to me then robin trower is closer to this blues rock mold that you'd see later with stevie ray vaughn right and people like that and so if you're a stevie ray vaughn fan you'd probably really like this album right in my mind and and also like there's like this myth or that you know Jimi hendrix was great mm -hmm. i think you know if you listen to some of his older tapes and stuff like that he recorded and recorded and recorded and recorded and he, mm -hmm. he did so much stuff that was never heard right and th there's a reason why they're not heard exactly because it's not because it's, it's not, not that the, it's not that great you know? and it's it's he's not even in tune right yeah <laughs> but but phenomenal right? phenomenal play yeah but yeah there's yeah. you know no, no one's perfect but uh i mean to me hendrix is a little less accessible than, let's say, Led Zeppelin. Right, right. You know, some of it I think is time too. And I've, I've, if you go back, John, and listen to some of my, I, this is a rant I get on all the time. In the '60s, right when with the advent of stereo, you get a lot of albums where they abuse it. Oh yeah. So and Hendrix, you listen to <clears throat> Are You Experienced, and. You know, it drives me crazy when you got the drums panned hard left and, and the guitars all on the right. You have your headphones on. You start turning your head to get, you the, go, exactly. to get, the, to get the drums and, centered, you know. And I just, you know, some of that would would, would drive me crazy uh, listening to that. But we move along from 1967 to 1974. And to me, the the 70s, to me, are the golden age of album production oh that is that that was everything album production yeah. yeah and and you even said it you said the first time you list played this album you said i'm surprised at how good it sounds it sounds really good yeah 
And the drum sounds are good. And there's there's very few overdubs. I think maybe two or three songs have two guitar parts. Right, right, right. You know, and I don't think they were. I I I wasn't there in the session, obviously, but I don't think they were overdubbing solos. Right. I think they started on measure one and ended when the that's and that was the end of the song. Yeah. I don't think they they did much uh, overdubbing at all. Now there's one song. I can't remember which one it is. It might be. It might be. Two Rolling Stone. There's one where the lead guitar sound is very different from the main rhythm guitar. Right. I think so, that's it. and and which is kind of cool, you know, that it's obvious this is not just you know he recorded a rhythm track and he goes back and he's playing lead. It's obvious that he has a completely different guitar sound for his solo as he did for the rhythm. But you're right. There's not a whole lot of overdubs. So it. doing a deep dive, I found on Wikipedia that the engineer for this album was Roland Emmerich. Okay. And he's the big time BBC, Apple. He's one that basically recorded all the uh, Beatles stuff. So that, okay. that's why I think it sounds so amazing. But in terms of like tone, I mean, I, I looked at what he was doing and he, like modern guitar players have mm-hmm. a whole plethora of oh, yeah. pedals and arsenal and everything yeah. you can get any kind of sound you want to. Yeah. <laughs> and you think back in 1974 there wasn't much technology for guitar. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that really stands out is that big Marshall lead sound. Mm-hmm. So he's got like a 100 watt Marshall in a recording space and it is cranked. Yep. So what you get at that point is you get the guitar goes into the preamp, preamps inside the head, mm-hmm. and then you have a preamp distortion plus you have power amp distortion. And mm-hmm. that is a completely different beast instead right. of having a pedal. When you have these big 100-watt marshals cranked open, it is just a completely different sound. Plus, when you're in a room with a – you have your guitar on and you're in a room with a very cranked amp, there is kind of like a synergy that goes on between – it starts. Yeah, the guitar and the amp literally become connected, connected because you're getting the sound of the guitar coming back through. And and yeah, it's, it's just so. it's that's this massive sound you get. Mm-hmm. And then he's, he's, he uses two pedals, kind of. So he uses the univibe. That's that kind of. Yeah, and he uses the crap out of that. He uses the crap out of it. <laughs> and he uses a wah. Right. And also, a lot of the tones he's getting is a, called a cocked wah. So a wah for guitar players is a pedal. It's basically like a tone control on a guitar, but you put it on your foot and you can go wah, wah, wah. But what he's doing is he's putting it in a position and just holding it there. So he's just holding it like and, halfway and, open or halfway closed. And that's the sound you hear so much. Yep. It like sounds so different. And that's a Michael Schenker trick too. He has a wah on his pedal board that he hardly ever uses the wah. He's got it in a certain position and he just leaves it there. Have you seen, it's funny you mentioned that. You might've seen this. So... Oh gosh, what's the company that makes his pedals now? I can't remember what it is. We can, we can look it up. We'll get oh, it for you. But, but they made him yeah, a, a special cocked, cocked wah pedal. Yeah, you so got a dial on it. It, it doesn't even have the pedal. It's right. just, you just set it. And so it sounds like a half open wah wah pedal for that exact right. sound that you're talking about. Yeah, that's a big part of his sound. And that's not a modern guitar sound. No, I don't, I can't name a record in the last 30 years that had a cocked wah right. as a prominent sound on it. I just can't think of one. But it's really it's really prominent in here. We, you hear these guitar tones that don't sound completely like a Strat. Because, you know, I play Strats. Right. And, and this album doesn't sound Stratty to me. Right. 
you know, I guess Sanders doesn't sound too stratty either on monotrax, but, but I think that comes from the, the power amp distortion he's getting. He's being really close to the amp and he's got that cocked wah and mm-hmm. it doesn't really sound like a traditional Stratocaster. And it's interesting you say, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Let, let me just talk a little bit about Robin Trower's background. I saw an interview. I think it's a couple years old, two or three years old and. Robin Trower is, he's 76. Okay. He was born in 1945. Does that make him 76? Um, That's probably not, I was not a math major. Yeah. yeah. So, so he's, he's not a young guy, right? He's he's old. And this interview I was telling John earlier is it's, if you were just walking by and not paying attention to what they were talking about, you would assume they were talking to a, 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 a roadie, a, a roadie, or, or like an old roadie, and, like, and, or or even like even like an an old retired school teacher in Great Britain or something, you yeah. know, because he's very soft spoken. He doesn't look like a rock and roll guy at all. That that reminds he me, looks like your grandpa. So yeah. a couple of years ago, in town here, we have a, a casino that plays live concerts, you mm-hmm. know, and, and uh, we rented a hotel room there one night to go to a concert. And I went down to the fitness center to do some jogging, and mm-hmm. I saw this guy, and I thought, "This is a rock star." Yeah, he looked like a rock star. He acted like a rock star. I didn't say a word to him, right? But I knew this guy is in the band. He plays guitar. And that, later that night, I saw him, but I was like, "He throws off this incredible like I'm a rock star." It was. I think he was playing for uh, uh, Melissa Etheridge or, or somebody like cool. That. But it was he was really a nice guy. But mm-hmm. with. Um, Robin Trower, you don't see he, this he, huge he rock star. No, you're not he, at it all. It doesn't read like I'm a monster on guitar. Right. And uh he's just very soft spoken and it, like I said, it was like it was like an interview with your grandpa. And and that's what happens when we you turn seventy six. Mm-hmm. You know? So but anyways, he was born in nineteen forty five. He was in Procol Procol Harem. Now Procol Harem is known for the hit, um, they're, they're really their only big hit, Whiter Shade of Pale. That's it, right? Which is a great song, but it's an organ song. It's yeah. not a guitar song. And actually, Trower didn't join until after they'd already released that. So he came in right after they had this hit with A Whiter Shade of Pale, and he played with them for a number of years. But yeah, that's not really a guitar song, and I, I, I don't haven't really seen him other stuff he's played with Procol Harum, so I don't know how much guitar input he actually had. But he was in with them for a number of years, but then, uh, uh, you know, finally kind of went out on his own, and Bridge of Size is the second album, is his second album. True. And as much as I like his guitar playing, this singer, James Dewar, Dewar Dewar, He's a Scottish guy. He died he's, in he's 2002. I didn't he's know he's Scottish. Yeah, he's Scottish. He's phenomenal. He's really good. And I'm like, why have we not? Why is this guy not more of a household name as a singer? Right. right? He's in that Paul Rogers bluesy school, but just a really good singer and a really good bass player. Yeah, he's tasty. Real, yeah, oh, it's just really I, I good love stuff. The, I mean, I love the bass tune. So, so you're talking about the the uh, the keyboard player for Procol Harum was Matthew Fisher. Yes, and Matthew Fisher produced this album. He yeah. produced Bridge of Size. And you know, in the in the liner notes, it's mentioned that you know there's only three people on the album, but you can hear B three. There's a couple organ tracks, in a few places. Very light, yeah. you know. 
which just reinforces the point that producers have a lot to do with the sound of an album. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We've talked about that before. Uh, yeah, we could do a whole, we need to do a, a Mutt Lang episode oh, at some point. As long as we do a Shania Twain we, one too. Exa- well, that's the whole thing. You know, you could, but, but yeah, the, the producers have a, a huge uh, impact. So this album comes out in 1974 and the James, James Dewar is the bass player. And the drummer is Reg Isidore. And again, we never really hear about these guys, you know, but, but in terms of the musicianship, I, it's awesome. It's a great album. I did think it was interesting. Bridge of size. What does that mean? What's bridge of size mean? And the bridge of size is a bridge that's part of that old prison in, is it in Venice? Venice. I think it's in Venice. And so, when convicts were getting sent to the big house, you know, they're being locked up for the rest of their life. They'd walk over this bridge of size, which goes over the water, you know, in Venice. And that was where you'd see your last long look before you go oh, into freedom. the dungeon. <laughs> uh, I, bet, I bet a dungeon in Venice was very wet. Yeah, probably mold on the walls. But that's where that comes from is that bridge of size is it's just a little historical thing. And there wasn't really any significance to that other than he just liked the sound of the name of it. <laughs> so I read back. Actually, the story was that he liked the name of a horse. That was called, that's what it is. Yeah, okay. like a racehorse that was called Bridge of Size. And he just called the album Bridge of Size. wrote a song after it. And yeah. then later he finds out it's... it's, it's then he finds out the, the history. Yeah. So what's the what's the picture on the front of the album did you see any what is that supposed to represent it's kind of a sand dune is that's I mean, what it looks I, like to I'm, me the very first release <laughs> the picture was upside down but see no one could tell you know it's like really i was at it upside down <laughs> it's like the white album what side it, goes up now? yeah yeah it's like okay so if it's upside down big deal but uh, apparently it was upside down uh but then they fixed it on subsequent I, I, I don't think the album cover does this <laughs> no, it does. album it's justice. It's just a nondescript. You can't tell what it is. It's like a, somebody's navel, I think. That's kind of like a navel belly, or belly something. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. But, but as far as, as the, the album goes, it's, it's a great album. Uh, so here's a, here's an interesting story too. And, and we're going to go down another rabbit trail here, John. You're a strap player. And if, if you're not a guitar, if you're a guitar player, you'll understand this. If you're not, just a little background here. So you got your Stratocaster, you got your Gibson, you know, with humbuckers and, and every guitar is really kind of a variation of those two. Exactly. And except the, maybe solid, solid or ho- semi hollow. Yeah, a semi hollow like body. Like an ES335. Right. And a little bit different take. A, a little different. But even with those, you know, you got a guy like like uh, Alvin yep. Lee or Ted Nugent that would play hollow bodies. They still mm-hmm. got the humbuckers, you know. Uh, and most guys are in one camp or the other. I'm a Strat guy, or I'm a Gibson I'm a Gibson guy. guy. Yeah. And and you just get like for me, if I'm playing clean, I want a Strat. Correct. But if I'm playing dirty, I like 
humbuckers, right? Right. I like, and so some people, John has one on his wall here. They'll take a Strat and stick a humbucker in it. So right. kind That's, of the best of both worlds. And I didn't come up with that idea. That right. was, it was, it was Eddie Van Halen. Kind yeah. Of. The kind of, he would take this Strat, stick a humbucker in it, and then they'd call the super, super Strats, what they call super Strats, right. which is a Stratocaster style guitar with the humbuckers that you could, you know, kind of get the best of both worlds. So Robin, in the in the Proco Harem days, in the early days, he was a Gibson guy. Really, he played humbuckers, and then they were. I think they were opening a show in the early days for uh, Jethro Tull, and so. M- Martin Barr, who's a guitar player for Jethro Tull, who's really good. He had his Strat, and he's a, he plays Les Pauls too, but he had mm-hmm. a Strat. Sitting on the stand, you know, just leaning up there, and and it's funny when uh, Robin Trower tells the story. He says, uh, "Yeah, so I was kind of naughty, and I picked up his guitar when, without asking, you know." But he but that he, is a no no. Yeah, well, he, if if you're a guitar player, you're not you, supposed you, to. You, do you don't that. touch other people's stuff. I mean, if 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 you ever want to see people kind of just, you know. Take a step back from you. Yeah, you say, touch their guitar without that. Yeah, well, he picked it up and he touched it. And he said, this is the sa- this is the sound. This is what I'm, the sound I've been hearing in my head, this is the sound. When he picked up that Strat through a Marshall, yeah. and, f- and from then on, he's been a Strat guy. But to your point, he doesn't sound really Stratty. He does it's not. It's not. I, so, and I, again, we don't need to get too much in the weeds, but you can listen to even a, a Richie Blackmore when he's got tons of gain and overdrive. You can still tell it's a strat. There's a certain art, like single coils give a certain like articulation in that high end and the top yeah, end. Yeah, it's it's a little and splanky. Uh, splanky is a good word. It's a little more biting, right? right? Where the overdrive you get with the humbucker to me sounds a little smoother, and creamy, creamier. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's all these all that's these a, words that mean nothing, right? Yeah, guitar's always like. But yeah. that's how he that's how he stumbled on the strat. And John, you talked about the pedals that he uses, and that was kind of, and he's pretty much stuck with that recipe forever. Yeah, the thing that I mean, the recording, there's no noise on it. If you're ever in a room with a 100-watt Marshall hooked up to a Strat that has single coils on it, yep. they they will hum like crazy. But and, you don't hear it on this album. Right. And again, for non-guitar players, single coil pickups, you got single coils, you got double coils. Double coils are called humbuckers. Because they buck the hum. Because they buck the hum, right? So they're quieter. So there's something about the double wraps. They go in opposite directions. Op- so it cancels out the yeah. noise. So, so humbuckers are quieter, but you get a strat and strats will pick up interference from lights, radio, fluorescent lights. Um, and used to get her have a fun time when I would get, get the radio. I I had a tube TV and I'd get my guitar next to it and make us, it would pick up the guitar or pick up the TV. And and I can remember actually hearing the radio come through my guitar on single coils, right? Or if you use an unshielded cable, Right, right, right. You get the same type of thing, but to your point is yeah it's amazing you got this cranked cranked, cranked amp and you got single coils and it had have to be really there is no noisy. noise on it i was yeah. i was you know i i i listened to it like intently like where is the noise mm-hmm. like some 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 albums they like they'll like do a like before they start the first note they'll they'll crank the noise and you're like yeah. and they start playing yeah. and and they turn the noise down like, yeah but it's the the technology to reduce noise 
I don't know if it existed back then, and I don't know how they did it. Yeah, it, it's the sound is really good, and you know, there's a few albums from that time frame. You know, this is one you were mentioning some of the big albums from '74. '74 was a good year. Oh, I haven't mentioned those albums. Oh, yet. you have. Yeah, we were talking beforehand, but one that came out in '73, which is one of my all-time favorite albums, is uh, ZZ Top's Trace Ombres. And it's the same way. You listen to that, and it sounds better than albums that came out in the 80s. You know, it just, it sounds better. It, the drums sound better. The guitar sounds are better. And this album is like that. It just sounds, it's a great sounding album. And all the albums from that time didn't sound that great. No. I mean, you'd look at a Kiss album, and I'm not, I'm not picking on Kiss as musicians, but the actual sound of their albums... The drums were weaker sounding. They were flatter. The guitars didn't sound as good. BTO, you listen to BTO. They just, it didn't sound as good as this album it so, sounds. It sounds, I would love to have this sound. Yeah. Of his guitar sound and have the, the, the presence and the, like the detail. Yeah. There's no like, like muddy middle. Yeah. It's just, it's, everything is distinct. You can hear every part and it, it's, it's a great sounding album. It's, yeah. it's really good. Yeah. So just, for context, mention some of the albums that came out in 74. Well, I was you doing some research and I found a, a site that had it. It says uh, loud, loudersound.com. I get a little free pitch there. So some of the albums that came out, this is the competition that uh, Robin Trower was kind of facing at the time, mm -hmm. which was, uh, here's a couple albums. So Aerosmith had Get Your Wings. Okay. Great album. Great album. Bad Company had Bad Company. That's a good, that's a good album. We have David Bowie with Diamond Dogs. Okay. Eric Clapton had 461 Ocean Boulevard. Okay. That was an interesting album. And then we have Deep Purple. Which Deep Purple album this is it? This is uh, Burn. Burn. Oh, oh, this is the first one without... With David Coverdale yeah, and David Glenn Coverdale Hughes. and Glenn Hughes. It's a great album. But you know what? Burn, from a production standpoint, I don't think Burn sounds as good as this Robin Trower album. It does. Yeah. I haven't yeah. heard of Burn, but this yeah. Robin Trower sounds great. Yeah. So we got Genesis has The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Yeah. It is the adventures of a New York street urchin named Rael. <laughs> yeah, in case you were yeah. wondering. Yeah. And uh, there's a Judas Priest came, album came out called Rockarola. Rockarola. Kiss had an album called Kiss. There it is. Man, what? 74 was a big year. Uh, Russia, that's... Uh, Rush came out too. That's the Fly By Night album in 74, right? right. Isn't it? Or is that their debut album? That's their debut album. That's actually. right. Okay, so, so... So there's... At the time... Psychedelia is over and done. It really kind of is. It's isn't like it? it's based like the, on those bands. You it's mentioned. like the hair metal of the '90s. You know, right. you didn't have nobody listened to hair metal, anymore. right? So uh, you have the the long play album because uh, Dark Side of the Moon, Moon uh, Dark Side of the Moon made so much money. Mm -hmm. So uh, our record companies were looking to kind of capital capitalize on it with with album sales, not singles, but right. albums. Yeah, that's a good point. So you have these. Uh, they were signing acts that could produce a full album of music and a concept album. Mm. That's why you have such diverse music. But uh, you know, nowadays we don't have that. You know, and and here's here's what's interesting. And there and there's this album has a I, I wouldn't call it a theme. It's not a theme album, but it has a vibe, right? It has a it's it's got a timbre a timbre and an atmosphere atmosphere yeah. so 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 a good example uh bridge of size which is the second track going into in this place right it's got this kind of wind sound effect and 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 again that's 
that's a it's, so I did, hadn't really thought about it in context of Dark Side of the Moon, but Dark Side of the Moon does that. You know, you get a sound effect that just kind of takes you right into the next thing. So you got some of this on this, but but the it's almost like the song Bridge of Size and In This Place are almost like this part of the same song. Right. Different the, movements. Different movements of the same song because they kind of have the same, I don't want to say dark, but it's not your typical upbeat, like you said, singles type music, right? This, this is kind of the, I would say this is more of headphone music than party music. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. You know, yeah, it's you, a good way to say it. At the end of the day, you you, you put, yeah. put your hi-fi on, you put your headphones on, you crank it up. And it's, you know, I have, haven't really listened to this in headphones. I mostly have listened in my car. Yeah. That's where I listened to it. But yeah, and that's a good, that's a good, you said it earlier. You know who Malcolm Gladwell is. Oh, the, yeah. The yeah, writer yeah. Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. He's wrote uh, Blink and Tipping Point and these phenomenal books. So I saw a presentation he gave. He's a really smart guy. Yeah, Mensa smart guy. Mensa, totally. Mensa smart. And you wouldn't think so. He's a huge sports fan and a huge music fan. Oh. And so he'll talk about these. And so he talks about which book was he promoting? I, I can't remember which which book it was. This was in probably 12, 15 years ago. So it's been a while. And he talks about Fleetwood Mac. And he talks about how the Fleetwood Mac that we all think of Fleetwood Mac with Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham. Buckingham and- so, so when when the Fleetwood Mac album came out, this was the one right before Rumors. The, when the Fleetwood Mac album came out in like '75, that was the 13th Fleetwood Mac album. Right. And the point he was trying to make is that there could never be a Fleetwood Mac these days. Right. No record company would give a band. 13 albums, 13 tries, to 13 get it, tries to, to, to get make a massive commercial. success. Right. Yes. And so this was a time there couldn't be a Robin Trower today. Really? I don't think so. So this was a time when record companies would gamble, gamble. That's a good way to look at it. And you mentioned dark side, dark side paid off huge album. That album was on the, in the top 40 for like, 15 years, 20 years. I think, I think it's still ridiculous. in the top 100. It's, yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. But to your point, I think that probably did allow for some of these more experimental type albums and to I come think out. Part of the thing was that rock music was relatively new. Yeah. You know, so I think what happened was that the um, record companies, you know, in the 80s, they figured out, they figured out how to make hits. They figured out how to make money. Because an album... A record company isn't in the isn't in the uh, the business to make records. It's in the business to sell records. Absolutely, it's not about the art. It's and so, oh, that's so. So, so, they, so they refine this process, that, which we have now, right? Which is you have fifteen songwriters on one song mm-hmm. for Taylor Swift, and that thing's going to go number one for like four weeks, right? Or, you know, you have, but that 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 whole like manufacturing. Uh, it, and that's what it's didn't, become. Didn't exist it's, back then. It's become a process. It's become a p- manufactured product. Frank Zappa. There's a great interview. We're really getting in the weeds, yeah, but we that's are. okay. That's okay. So Frank Zappa talks about how in the early days, 
the guys making records, they were in it for money too, right? They were businessmen. But he said it was way better working with these business guys that didn't know a thing about music, right? Because they just said, yeah, boys, do what you want, you know? And then he said, once you get into the 70s and then you get, it's all about A&R and then you get the experts, you know, he said, yeah, and now these guys were hip and had long hair and they're smoking pot. But he said, they wouldn't give us near the freedom that the old guys that looked like they were from from Mad Men right. would, you know? And I just think that's very interesting. And in the 80s, I really saw it. I was working in radio at the time. That's where I first started paying attention. And there have always been producers' bands, right? The Monkees. You know, we talk about the 60s and so many of those there's 60s been, There's acts. been a lot of manufacturing. That's always happened. I think, I think the Who of fine was kind of in that and, could be and i yeah. think the rolling stones were kind of got manufactured a little bit too yeah but but, but by the by the time the 80s rolled around then it really became it was a formula like you mentioned it was a okay oh, let's 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 do this we need this type of sound we need this the type lead of, singer's got to be a blonde exactly uh, some of the band has have dark hair to separate them totally you know and, and so it became a manufacturer it became about the product Instead of the art, it's always been about the product. It's I mean, they've always the had to sell, but Fleetwood Mac, you know, the record company, 13 albums until they have a big breakthrough. And and that would not happen I, today. And I think some of the things that the industry is doing now is they, they kind of own everything. So back in the day, you would hopefully own your masters if you could. Mm-hmm. And you would try to get, try to get publishing rights, whatever. Right. But now... And the idea was that the tour, if you went on a tour, the tour would promote album sales within that region. Right. Because people go, I want to go listen to, I'm going to buy the album before I go to the concert, obviously. Mm-hmm. Or right after I see the concert. Right. right. They, yeah. You know, then you throw away, you, you give some tickets to their local rock station and they would promote you and promote you and promote you. Right. And then the, the DJs get a hang backstage and pretend like they're cool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but now it's like the record label owns everything Mm -hmm. they own their likeness they own their signatures they own their twitters and their youtubes and they own the concerts yeah they own the t-shirt sales they own everything and another great channel check out full and bloom on youtube all this guy does is interview people so listen to an interview with don dock and and he said record companies are banks that's all they are yes they are loaning the bands money but you got to pay it all back. You, you know, so he said by the time we'd each made a million dollars, the record company had probably made $50 million. Right. And, and when it gets really tragic and, and, and be realistic, if you're a young person and this, this is our big chance, record you're going to do, deal. you're going to do whatever they tell you to do. And that's why. You had people like Willie Dixon, and it happened to the black artists more than anyone right. that would die penniless. Absolutely. Because they just got taken to the cleaners by the record company. They give them $10 or $10. Or, or, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll buy this song for 10 bucks. Yeah. And then, and then Led Zeppelin was one of the biggest perpetrators of th- their first albums. They would just say songs by Page Plant, you know, they would take credit. For these Robert Johnson or Willie Dixon songs, they had to go back and rectify that over the years. But, I mean, that's a common – that happened. Yeah. So we're really getting in the weeds here. We're in the weeds here. That's all right. It's a good good conversation. So, John, 
when we come back, I want each of us to kind of share. Our, I don't want to go track by track necessarily, right, right. but let's talk about our high points as we go through this album. Uh, we're talking, of course, about Bridge of Size, 1974 album from Robin Trower. That's what we're supposed to be talking about, anyways. So we'll actually get back on track. We'll we'll talk about our high points from the album when we come back right here in the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. I'm Jeremy London with my partner, John Dimke. Hello. We are talking about Bridge of Size from 1974 by Robin Trower. And I'm going to put you on the spot first, John. Do it. So at, what are the high points? What are the songs that, that you gravitate to if i could break this down i wouldn't necessarily call this strictly a rock album i think there is i would say it's it's more of a soul album and more i'll of, give you that i think there's even a funk song on there i guess my i guess i like that they're really the the ballad called about to begin that's a great one that's the one it's, i was listening to as i pulled it, up by the way it's yeah. it's it's almost uncharacteristic for this album because I was expecting, you know, from the first track and the second track, third track. But this song, this when this track came on, I was like, this is something very different. Yeah. It has the same sound, the same feel, but it's it's a different song. And yeah. I like that one. So it had like a – it had a B3 organ in it. And it's probably from mm -hmm. the, the guy. And also the vocals had an effect on them. Yeah. I, and I don't know what they used – because they didn't have a lot of effects back then. There was mm -hmm. there's something on the vocals that make it sound warbling, kind of swirly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe they ha haunting is the good. I was going to say melancholy. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's it's con contemplative. Con con yeah, I like that word. Yeah, but I really like that track, and I liked uh, the fifth track, Two Rolling Stoned. Yep. That's to me. If 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 this album has a hit, because I've actually heard that song on classic rock radio. I have too. That's the, I've, I've maybe heard Bridge of Size, but I think I've heard but that. I've heard Two Rolling Stone, KKZX, who's that's a classic rock station here in town. Right. They used to play that. Yeah. But, but my definition of that song is, if I'm going to cl classify, it, it's going to be a funk song. That is a funk song, uh, uh, straight yeah. up and down. Yeah, I think if you if you if you change the instruments a little bit yeah. and had a little more it would, there, that is you, a funky song you know i'll give you that that is a i think it's a funk song so those yeah. are the two i really like okay i wanted to go back to that about to begin gotcha <clears throat> if and i don't know why i told john this it, to me that song reminds me of 
if you go and watch a Charles Bronson movie, Charles Bronson, like 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 oh, the that, Death Wish movies or whatever, or bad or, bad or, wig, or, or the mechanic. Yeah, he was just an ugly dude. How did Man, that guy get to he, me? I don't know. <laughs> Telly Savall. I mean, there's, yeah, there's there, some ugly dudes. There's, there's, there's a lot of ugly people on TV in the 70s. <laughs> but, you know? but, but there's that whole mid-70s, you know, I, I just see uh, a, a, the beginning of a Charles Bronson movie. It, it'll have like mellow music and show this the city in the background or whatever as they're playing the opening. That has that cinematic feel gotcha. to me. Uh, and I just, I was thinking of a Charles Bronson soundtrack when sure. I saw that, but, but I love that song. That's um, a great name for a band. <laughs> the Charles, Charles Bronson, Bronson soundtrack. Put the, at the beginning, the Charles Bronson soundtrack. That's a good one. <laughs> okay. So uh, I really like, I'll call them the big three. In fact, one of our Patreon supporters, Lauren, who sends us emails, Lauren's great, but she refers to the big three, the big three, Day of the Eagle, Bridge of Size, Two Rolling Stone. And and I tend to agree those are the big three. But I also really like About to Begin, and I really like In This Place. So I talked about Bridge of Size and In This Place being kind of down, and they are. But it, they're, they're just really well done, and I like the sound, the, the guitar. Everything about this album is very tasteful, right? That, that yeah. is the word, tasteful. Yeah. It's like there's nothing overdone. Sometimes, right. you know, you, you get like a deaf lover with Lang we mentioned earlier. Exactly. It's like, okay, how many instruments are you playing? <laughs> exactly. You want, how, many, gonna... how many? Let's get 80 backing vocals on this track. Yeah, oh. total, totally. But But I really like... Day of the Eagle is a great song to, to kick it off. And it's weird. I tried to, it's a weird I was rhythmic to thing. I was trying to kind of play along. Where is the one? They drop a, they drop a note somewhere and it's kind of tricky until it kicks in. But I love Day of the Eagle. And I don't know when I'm, there's something about putting them on a turntable, right? You set it down, you hear that little at the beginning and then it kicks in. And I, this is an album I have on vinyl and I, I just love to hear it on, on vinyl. But uh, I would say the big three, right? Day of the Eagle, Bridge of Size, Two Rolling Stone. Oh, Lady Love is a good song, too. It's, I, I kind of like they're that. They're all really good. Yeah. They, you can't say that there's any bad songs on it. But it's also, you know, it's not like you're going to put on an ACDC album and party, you know, you know, right. this is a little more, you use the word contemplative, right? Contemplative, contempl however you say it. This is a little more, I don't want to use the word dark. It's not necessarily dark, dark yeah. but it's, what's the word I'm looking for? I it, think it's mature. Mature. That's a good word for it. Like if, that's a like good if word Kiss, for it. no, I mean, no offense to Kiss, but Kiss is not really. No, like, they're not going to do a bridge of songs size. like Love Rocket and Lick It Up. That's, yeah, that's not exactly bridge of size, yeah. you know? Yeah. They tried to do that with The Elder, by the way. One of the all time crappy albums, by the way. That's a whole other subject. We're going to do a Kiss episode sometime, John. <laughs> Those are mine. So it's a shame that, I mean, I mean, diehard music fans are probably aware of Robin Trower, right? But he hasn't really had he's mainstream. Done. He's always played, right? So he's, he's still he, he still plays. According to his website, TrowerPower.com. TrowerPower. He had to postpone a tour in 2020 because of COVID. So right. I think he's I think he might have dates too. But 
If you get a chance, um, check out his uh, Facebook page. He has uh, 334,000 followers. Okay, so... That is huge. He's He's got an audience. He's got a big audience. And I think he hasn't gotten a lot of radio airplay to build that audience. No. I think he's done it the hard way. He's toured forever. I think they're kind of like... He's kind of like Iron Maiden a little bit. Meaning that Iron Maiden... Maiden they never got airplane. Not really. No. I, yeah. And no. They, they tour and tour and tour. They and tour. built they built their they never stopped, right? They built their following. They earned it the hard way, right? And right. a lot of Cheap Trick is that way. Cheap Trick has had a few big hits, but they have never stopped. They've always and they have a rabid following. Yeah, Iron Man's exactly mm-hmm. the same way. Someone mentioned to me that they had seen again, this has become a I bring this up a lot, but this is just the reality of it. All all of these guys that we listen to as teenagers, right? None of us are teenagers anymore. No. I'm in my fi- I'm 54 years old, right? So I'll be 52 in a yeah, month and yeah. a half. So these guys that were in their 30s when we were kids, well, they're in their 70s and and 80s, right? So. What's my point? My point is, man, we, we got to enjoy these guys while they're still doing it. And another thing is, I think guitar players and, and musicians in general fare better than singers. I agree. I, think, I agree. I think a lot of those singers, when they, they, when they wrote their parts when they were younger, they had a much higher register. Mm-hmm. And they could do a lot more things vocally. And right. just years and years and years of gravity on your vocal cords, you, they just can't do it anymore. And and a and a guy can still play the guitar into his seventies. Right. Yeah. The 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 one point I wanted to make was that someone it might have been someone on Twitter who's who responded. You know, when I said we were going to be doing this album on our Twitter, they said, "Yeah, I went and saw him, and he actually came up to the stage with a walker." Wow. And I don't think he always uses a walker, but maybe he had had surgery or something. But this person's like, "Oh no." But they said they handed him a guitar and he just plow and it was like, whoa, this guy's awesome, you know. But but just you see the, you know, we never want to think of our idols as using a walker or human. They're they are human. That's right. right. And and it's hard for us to uh, to realize that. Would you want to be seventy five years old and you got a gig? Would you use your walker to get there? I sure tech would. Well, and that's the thing is, and here's the thing. And I've gotten in arguments with people when they say, yeah, those guys need to just give it up. And I'm like, why? This is what they love doing. Right. If you can play it, if you can play it decently, you if know? you can play it. And, and if and some bands just can't, can't. Yeah, yeah. And that's true. But, but again, even if they're one of those bands, if there are still here's kiss is a perfect example, right? Into the road. People are saying, Paul Stanley can't sing anymore. He could never really sing that great. <laughs> but but the, the, the point is, if people are still willing to go out and pay to see these guys, I wouldn't – who's to, who am I to tell them they need to give it up? Absolutely. And, and some of these guys, especially the mid-tier, this is how they support themselves. Right. They didn't make tons of money because record companies have traditionally ripped them off. They don't have a whole lot of money. Right. They took most uh, of their um – the royalty yeah. strong. And we assume that because someone was at, uh, famous at one point that they're just all rich. That's not, that's not that the case. That is not the case. So, anyways, we went all over the place. We went all over the place. I apologize for that, no, too. No, 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 no apologies <laughs> needed. We're just two like, guys that like guitar, oh, like talking man, about we it. Can, like, we can know, get in the we'll, weeds. We'll get some weeds. You know? Yeah. I would love your thoughts 
so email us, right? Uh, ClassicGuitarRock at Mail.com. Uh, you can always go to Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on, on YouTube. And the website. And the website. Well, yeah, that's your first place to go is you go to the website and you can get to everything from there. So that's your home base, classicguitarrock.com. Check it out. But, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I don't want to put you on the spot, John, but we need some ideas for the next episode. Do we want to commit to one right now or should we talk about that? Uh, if you're going to put me on the spot, I'm going to say let's do new wave, new wave, new wave classic rock, though, right? Right, so right. Like, I'm okay. talking like Dave Byrne, Talking Heads, okay, Blondie, that kind of. I stuff. love it. I love it. So our next episode, we're going to talk about the new wave tinged <laughs> classic rock. That'll be awesome. And if any of you listeners out there have any ideas of bands that we should cover for that, please, please share it. You can tweet us. You can put it on Facebook. You can do anything. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. John, thank you, sir. Thank you for letting me be here. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Rock on. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Oh, sweetie. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. <laughs> We're morons. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. <laughs>